So, so I brought my box here. Anybody know what this is? Colored Christmas lights, which you're supposed to use colored <laughs> ladies, colored Christmas light. There are people who, like, it doesn't even feel like Christmas unless some of the lights are colored. So this is a box of colored Christmas lights put away, just like Martha Stewart suggested. <laughs> you wrap them around chunks of cardboard. Yeah. Did you, how many of you knew this? That's why you wrestle with the lights and they don't work year after year, because you just wad them up and you stick them in a box. You don't do like Martha Stewart suggested and put them around cards. You can put them in around cards and then year after year, your wife can say, do we have any white lights? And you can say, no, but we have a box of colored lights, which she can ignore. <laughs> this particular box, it says, I wrote on it, says um, colored Christmas lights Hope and I quietly and somberly unwound the lights from the tree today and respectfully hey can you turn your phone off while I'm preaching over there lady ushers there's a lady over here she's playing her phone really loud while I'm trying to preach and I'm sleeping on the couch for a few months Quietly and somberly unwound the lights, and we moved our little Fraser fur out to the backyard. Sunday, January 4th at 4 p.m. Thank you, Jesus, for a wonderful Christmas. At this very moment, thick Christmas snow began to fall. Can you can you hear the melancholy in my voice? When I when I how many of you it's a little hard for you? To put away the Christmas lights. Raise your hand. It's a little bit, it's a little hard because we put so much into Christmas. So here, here's an encouraging word. Aren't you glad you don't work at Frankenmood tomorrow? <laughs> I would be like, well, 363 days till Christmas here at Frankenmood, and we're supposed to pretend we're excited about, about this. I think that would be kind of hard. We were in Kentucky one time, and it was the day after Christmas. We got up, and I said, well, I think I'm going to. I'm going to take a little walk, and I, and I took a walk, and I was walking along, and I, I looked over, and I saw a dumpster over there, and I noticed that somebody had taken their Christmas tree out and just thrown it, lights and icicles and all, upside down in the dumpster. Day after Christmas, just pitched their Christmas tree. It was gone. I heard another person that said, you know, what they do is every year when they get done with their Christmas tree, you know, they put so much time and effort into it. It's a, it's a, a artificial tree. It had all kinds of decorations on it. They just bought this thing that kind of wrapped it in plastic wrap. And then their husband just had them take it to the attic. And then next year, they just cut the plastic wrap off. I'm not even sure that counts as a Christmas tree. But we all have different ways of coping with the mild melancholy that we feel when, when Christmas is over and we put so much into it. I was speaking way up north uh, for a Valentine banquet year, one year, and, I, and I, it was a Saturday night, and I drove back in the wee hours of the morning to get home, and it was this bitter cold. Valentine's, right? This is February 14th. And I drove into our neighborhood, and I noticed that one of the neighbors still had his Christmas lights plugged in. I kind of wanted to go and knock on his door and say, you want me to help you take those down? I mean, it's February. 
it's time to take the Christmas lights down. You, I just looked back there and saw the Beasleys, and I thought, it seriously must be a lot of work to undo Christmas at your house. They have a 74-foot-tall tree in their house, 74 feet. What is it? Seriously, is it like, is it like eight? What? Oh, just a little tree, a 13-footer. And how many lights? 1,500. These are serious Christmas people. And hats off to you. And, uh, but so when that's over, let's, let's be honest. When we put that much emotional effort into something, it can be a little bit hard to adjust to normal life. I heard a guy say it like this one time. I thought it was kind of cute. He said, I just wish that we could put the Christmas spirit in jars and open a jar every month and get some of the Christmas spirit out. I uh, want to preach a message today to encourage you. I'm going to call it 365 Days of Christmas. And it kind of comes from a, a biblical idea that was expressed in a beautiful carol that we have listened to for years, and the end of the carol kind of goes like this. It's called, have you heard this song? It's called The Secret of Christmas. And the end of the carol goes like this. It's not the things you do at Christmas time. It's the Christmas things that you do all year through. And that's what I want to talk about. Like, maybe I'm going to give you eight, eight different ways, uh, eight different ways to dispel the post-Christmas gloom or just the general gloom, if you ever have, if you ever need a little shot in the arm, a little encouragement, a little joyfulness, I'm going to give you eight different ways. Now, here is our best kept trade secret at our church, and that is, you know, Christmas time, what is it that makes Christmas time so wonderful? Well, you know, you have giving, and you have singing, and you have feasting, and you have goodwill, and you have people reconciling and forgiving one another and that kind of thing. And these are all things that are just Christian. They're just Bible things. They're not really things. The Bible never, you know, commands us to observe the nativity of Christ alone. Doesn't have, we don't have a biblical command to do that. It's a long-standing, beautiful tradition among Christian people, which I'm kind of glad about and I will celebrate for the rest of my life. But in Luke in chapter 2 and verse 10 it says then the angel said to those shepherds don't be afraid behold i am bringing you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people so here are here today are eight things that you can do all year long to dispel the christmas gloom number one and these are just christmas things right the things we do at christmas time number one worship every day the heart of christmas is worship when you read the christmas narratives which are primarily in what books of the Bible? Matthew and Luke, correct. So if you took your Bible this afternoon and you were to look in Matthew, what would you see? You would see people worshiping. You would see wise men worshiping. You would see angels worshiping. You would see shepherds worshiping. You would see Mary and Joseph worshiping. You'd see Simeon and Anna worshiping. Worship is the heart of the Christmas story. And worship is the heart of Christianity. And worship is the motive for our service. We really should do all that we do for the Lord out of a heart of worship for Him. 
And here's something really powerful that sometimes I don't think people really understand, and that worship is one of the most powerful tools against sin. And so worship is not just something that makes Christmas wonderful, but worship is something that makes life wonderful. So if you struggle, and listen, and I understand about, a little bit about anxiety, depression, melancholy, gloom, there are levels of it. Some levels are just clinical. I understand that. Anybody that's worked with people understands some of us are afflicted with a dark, difficult melancholy. And and many of God's people over the years who've been greatly used to the Lord have wrestled with a mysterious kind of what they might call melancholy or depression. And so I'm not trying to heal a wound slightly today, but I'm trying to give you some words of encouragement for times when you might feel, and that is try worship, try worship. Here's a second thing that makes Christmas wonderful, and that is um, do good works and have goodwill toward men every day. Do good works and have goodwill toward men every day. Isn't it one of the fun things about Christmas when you see people paying for the people in line behind them or people going out of their way to do something loving and special and then just kind of capping it with, well, Merry Christmas. There's something that stirs our hearts. And why is that? It's not just because it's Christmas. It's because it's Christian. It's a Christian thing. This, throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, and, and we taught this, you know, we taught through the book of Titus. We called it the little red book of church. You guys remember that? And one of the things that it says in the book of Titus over and over again is that we give the gospel, but it's embedded in the soil of good works. And so it's always a good thing to be doing good work. Some of you, it, you know, like in your vocation, like, like I'm thinking about like the, the, the work that you, what work you do that you get paid for is rendering service to somebody. That's why they pay you. It's often rendering service. That's why they pay you. Because that's what makes the world go around. People serving one another. We took your garbage away from the curb. Isn't life better without lots of garbage at the curb? Of course. You know, we, you have somebody that supplied power to your house. It's a wonderful thing to have power in, in your house. It's somebody that taught your children. What an unspeakable gift that someone would, would take time to teach your children. And, and somebody who works in prison reform. Isn't it wonderful that people care about people in prison as Christ-like? And so whether it's our vocation or whether it's added like our avocation, good works is a huge part of what makes life work every day. It's not, it's not just a Christmas thing, but it certainly is featured in a beautiful way at Christmas. And let's remember how wonderful it was to see good works done, to do good works and have good works done to us at Christmas time. And remember that as Christians, we can do good works 365 days a year. This is good will toward men, Luke 2 and verse 14. Third, so number one, worship every day. It's a Christmas thing, but it's a Christian thing. Number two, do good works and have good will toward men every day. It's a Christmas thing. It's a Christian thing. Number three, devote yourself to, now listen to this, devote yourself to peace and forgiveness and reconciliation every day. It's a Christmas thing. The whole idea of Christmas is God reconciling man to himself through Christ. And man to man reconciled through Christ. So it's not just we forgive people when we feel like it. We forgive people because it's what Jesus did for us and what we must do if we say we're Christian. To say that I won't forgive you is like saying I'm not going to be Christian right now. So forgiveness and reconciliation, some of the sweetest stories of Christmas. 
are stories of reconciliation, are stories of peace restored, are stories of people getting back together, forgiving one another. Can I, can I be very direct with you right now? Who is there in this world that you would be tempted to withhold personal forgiveness from? Is somebody like that? Well, why don't you do the Christmas thing and just let them out of jail, let them out of the prison of your heart this year? Why don't you just forgive them like Jesus did you? Why don't you do the Christian thing and just forgive them? Can you think about who that person is? Now, understand, this doesn't necessarily mean that you trust that person. They may not be very trustworthy. You can still forgive them. You can still, in other words, wish God's best for them, that they would repent, come to faith, or, or come to follow the Lord, and share the table with you in heaven, and, and release them in your heart and say, God, I'm going to pray toward that person who's hurt me. This is a Christmas thing. That's one of the things that makes Christmas so wonderful, but it's one of the things that makes Christianity so wonderful. And so that's why when the angels came and they announced what? They announced peace on earth. They said, this is going to be the heart of reconciliation. And the person they were speaking about or singing about or chanting about there in the field with the shepherds was the one who would be called, who was called in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, the prince of peace. So if Jesus is in the room and you ask him, Jesus, do you want me to forgive this person? Jesus looks at you and he says, well, I am the Prince of Peace. And can I say this without meddling too much? Because my intent today is just to really encourage you. And that is the people that often hurt you the most, diff in a most difficult way, are often also people that you love the most that you kind of live with. So start at home and forgive the people right there in your house. Just live with a heart of forgiveness with them. It's Christian. It's beautiful. How many days a year should you do that? 365 and less, of course, it's leap year. So devote yourself to peace and forgiveness and reconciliation. So here we go. Let's review. This is 365 days of worship every day. Two, good works and goodwill toward men and women every day. Three, devote yourself to peace and forgiveness and reconciliation every day. Do you see it's kind of like dragging Christmas right through the year with you? Number four, fill every day with singing or expressions of praise and joy. The, 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 the Christmas narratives are full of song. Our Christmas celebrations wouldn't really be that beautiful if we didn't sing carols, if songs weren't such a huge part of that. And I was blessed to, you know, I've told you this a lot of times, I was blessed to live in a home that and a mom who filled the house with music you know every day and I, I so thank God for that because it just still rings in my heart the other day I was up in my corner of my room where I like to work and I was working up there and Lois came in from her work and she had a series of things to do she was just working away and I noticed that she was whistling Christmas songs and I thought that's like a tale like be careful with this analogy it's like a dog wagging his tail it's the universal sign of there's a happy little animal and if a wife is whistling that's probably good that's probably good news and so can i suggest this i want to say it very graciously and that is if you're wrestling with melancholy or with down if you're feeling a little down or you're a little disappointed it's like get some music on get some joyful music on put sing and make melody in your heart to the lord listen 
Mary, when she found out she was going to have the Son of God, and she met with Elizabeth, and you know how it is when the ladies get together. Do you ever have, yeah, ladies, do you have a lady in your life that when you get together, just like sparks fly, and you can talk about anything? And this was Mary and Elizabeth, I imagine. And they both had been, obviously God was doing something amazing in their life. And then what does Mary do? She burst into song, and she praises God. She, in the most, one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible, Mary, the Magnificat, they call it, it's a song of praise. Did you know this? This little teenage peasant, Jewish peasant girl, quoted the Old Testament 30 times in that bit of praise in Luke chapter 1. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Filled the hungry with good things, the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke of our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her about three months. This was Mary's Magnificat, who was her song of praise. We could take a lesson from her, and that is, the uh, Bible says that Mary heart is like a continual feast. And so, God help us. You know, in every home, there ought to be someone whose default is Mary, whose default is joy, whose default is, I'm just going to praise him today. And when you feel like at least you need to do it the most, choose to give him praise. And God help you. Maybe he will lift your spirit, especially in him. Listen to this. This is um, Paul and Silas are in the lower part of the prison. This is not a place, you know, with a pool table, colored TV, and an exercise yard. This is like, which there's no prison in the world I'd ever want at the end. But this is like a dungeon of a prison. At midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? Praying singing hymns to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Brother, when you come together, everyone should have a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, interpretation, and edify one another in this way. Come together with songs. Ephesians 5, 19. You're familiar with this. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing, make melody in your heart to the Lord. This is a means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Sing, get some music on. It's not just a Christmas thing. It's a Christian thing. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. Fill your life with good praise in, in, in song and in word. It also says this in Colossians 3.16. In a bit of a parallel passage, Paul says it this way. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So one thing we do with our songs in church is we express praise. But one of the things we do with our songs, like one of our songs today that we sang, they were all really meaningful. There was one that was particularly rich in teaching. Music teaches. We, it doesn't just express praise and thanksgiving. It also, or, or remorse uh, or, or penitence, but it, 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 we sing and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We sing with grace and our hearts to the Lord. This is a great Christian thing. It's a Christmas thing, but it's a Christian thing. So we, the secret is out. At Bethel, we do Christmas stuff all the time. And in your house, you should do that too. James 5.13 says, if anyone is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing. 
psalms. And so, let's review. 365 days of worship, 365 days of good works and goodwill toward men and women, 365 days of devoting yourself to peace and forgiveness and reconciliation, 365 days of filling every day with singing and expressions of joy. I'm already on number five. Number five is every day be a giver. Isn't giving one of the sweetest parts of Christmas? And the Bible says it this way. It takes a while to learn it. It's more blessed to give than receive. Jesus said that. It's quoted in Acts 20. It's more blessed to give than receive. Would you indulge me? I, I, Lois and I, one of the happiest parts of our life is watching our grandchildren, 15 of them, when, people, when their parents take pictures or videos of them and put them on the family chat. Because a lot of them live a long way away. And so we just like hang on that. We watch those little pictures of somebody got a truck for Christmas. Oh, he looks so happy. And there's Bella. Our granddaughter was given a gift to give to an elderly lady they were visiting. And she was literally running with this gift across the parking lot. This is a little tiny thing, just running to give this thing. And I thought, God, help her be a giver all of her life, that eager to give. Because if she does, she'll always feel joy in her heart. Giving is the Christian thing. This is probably a good time for me to stop, and on behalf of Pastor Pat and me and our family, to tell you humbly, thank you for the amazing, generous Christmas gift that you gave us. And you give us a portion every week as unto the Lord, and, and we are every day grateful. Every day, both of us, I can tell you, are grateful. Our families are grateful this is a very sweet, kind, generous church. You have given to others, but you have given to us. And it is hard to express how thankful that we are and what that means to us more than, of course, the generous gift, but also just the, the gesture that you would think of us at a time that's so difficult for many of us and give so kindly. So like, we're super grateful for that. And we, we literally often lie in our beds at night, don't we, Lois, over and over and over again and say, thank you, God, for, for your kindness that's shown to us through uh, the Bethel Church. And I know from conversation with Pat and uh, his, Pastor Pat is grateful as well. We just want to tell you that right now is, is a good time to do it. It is sweet to give, isn't it? Isn't it fun to give somebody a gift and then watch them open it? Or think that you met somebody's need. Oh, you know, it, it is. It's, it's such a wonderful thing. Lois said to me, we, we exchanged a little gift. And, and it was, you know, you get to a certain age and you go, please don't surprise me with something I don't want. You ever have that? Like, oh, thank you. I really wanted a buffalo plaid pajamas. Like, I'll wear those every day, you know. Lois is like, she says, it's kind of humorous. When we first got married, she thought I wanted tools because I was a man. <laughs> I don't know, she bought me a crescent wrench. A really nice, you know, I probably still have it. I, I think I might even have used it one time. Um, <laughs> the year we got married, she brought me a crescent wrench. I bought her something she didn't like either. Um, and, and so now we're like, what do you want me to get you? Let's not surprise one another with something we don't like. And so I got her a, a power screwdriver. She wanted it, seriously, with a set of bits. And I think that what she's enjoyed the most about that is telling people that's all she got. She's on with her sisters and her mother and the kids and going, he just got me a screwdriver. That's all he got me. And she's kind of milking that. Like, I think, 
I think that she, I'm getting myself in a lot of trouble today, all right. Anyway, how funny is that to give one another gifts? She got me big socks. I didn't even know until this year that a person with size 13 feet should buy bigger socks than normal. I just figured that out. So she bought me big, expensive socks. And I knew you'd want me to bring that to the sacred desk today and tell you. Why am I telling you all this? Because even as silly as it sounds, you know, giving to one another, can I remind you that giving to one another is one of the things that brings us joy. And so if you'd like to dispel the Christmas, the gloom, the post-Christmas gloom, keep giving. Find people that need gifts and, and give to them and share. That's a beautiful thing to do. You know the story of Nicholas of Myra, a pastor, a bishop in Turkey, in ancient Turkey, who was famous for giving. And he was so famous for giving that they say, you know, that the sailors took his story around the world and the, and the, and the Santa Claus story sprung up from Nicholas of Myra, a real person giving real gifts, doing Jesus things. Jesus taught this. Of course, you know, in the, in the Christmas story, you have the, the men who are very wise. They're coming, and what are they doing? They, they're expressing their worship by giving gifts to Jesus. And, the, and you know this. The beauty of it is Jesus says, if you want to gift me, find the least of these, my brethren, and gift them, and it will be as if you gave it to me. And, and in, um, in when Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6 and in, in verses 1 and in, in following there in the chunk of the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, and when you give, he just assumed one of the things Christians do is that they give. And so remember that. Here's number six. Remember that the power of love is eternal. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, you know, it says love never fails. Now abides faith and hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love never fails. Love is powerful. Not too long ago, a, a, a president of a Christian college quipped in chapel, I was watching when he did it, that the students should pack, they should carry sidearms. Did you see this? The, a, a large evangelical university, um, uh, <coughs> Liberty University, um, Dr. Falwell, he says, he says in chapel, students should be packing weapons. He, I watched it, he said that. That was a bit controversial. Would you not agree? Um, he said it should. It caused quite a stir, <laughs> and and of course the press seized on that. Talk about that. Uh, it, you know, uh, it is interesting to think about that. Peter carried a weapon, didn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, and and David carried a weapon. David, in the Bible, David, uh, he had people that were that worked with him that carried weapons and if he looked at a guy kind of crooked the guy could could hurt his enemy um that's interesting christians maybe maybe by inference then it's okay for christians to bear arms that's something that we could have a conversation about but here's why i'm saying this look in your bibles in romans chapter 12 and i want you to see what the the christians most powerful weapon against his enemies is a christian's most powerful weapon against his enemies according to the bible verse 14 romans 12 bless those who persecute you bless don't curse them rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep that verse 15 is exceedingly powerful verse 16 live in harmony with one another don't be haughty associate with the lowly don't be wise in your own sight listen to this verse 16 repay no one evil for evil but give 
thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there is a lot of debate among Bible scholars about what verse 20 means. You know, there's all kinds of like Bible manners and customs, and there's theories about this. I don't know for sure. Here's the theory I like the most. In ancient warfare, you see this in old movies, one of the things that you really, when you wanted to break out your most volatile weapon against your enemy, what would you do? He would be coming up and you would you'd be you'd have the high point and you would pour hot coals on him that would be like the nuclear warfare of the ancient world i think what jesus is telling us through the apostle paul through the holy spirit is this your greatest weapon your nuclear warfare against your enemy is what love love and love is really the thing that makes Christmas work. And love is really the thing that makes church work. And love is really the thing that, that should characterize us as Christians. So remember the power of love. Number seven, number seven, remember always the light of hospitality burning in the window of your soul. Always have the light of hospitality burning in the window of your soul. In other words, be be warm and hospitable to one another. This is what Hebrews 13.1 says. You know this passage. This is like one of those, oh, interesting. Brotherly love continue. Don't forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained messengers from God. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Let brotherly love continue. Don't forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels this is a christmas thing why do people put lights in the window at christmas time that's supposed to be symbolic of we're welcoming jesus but jesus says if you want to welcome me be willing to welcome the unlovely be willing to welcome the not wealthy be willing to welcome the people who are needy be, that's christian that's christmas and the luminaries from the southwest uh, that's lighting the way for the Christ child is making come this way. It's welcoming him, welcoming the Christ child. But to welcome Jesus, what do we do? We welcome the least of these, the unlovely, the poor, the, the troubled. And, and aren't we really all troubled? If you meet somebody that you don't think is troubled, here's the deal. You don't know them very well yet. You just don't know them very well. Get to know them a little bit and you'll find they have their troubles. And they, they need hospitality. In other words, they need people that are warm. And that embrace. You have different gifts of hospitality. You know, I have discovered personally that over the years, I've often said to men, I've said it to almost all of you men, and if I haven't, I'm saying it right now. Hey, can I get you coffee sometime? Which is my way of saying, I like you, I love you, I want to get to know you. I like to spend time with you. Can we grab coffee sometime? I feel like I get a kick out of it. every once in a while. A guy will say to me, "I don't drink coffee." I'm like, 
You might have missed the whole point right there. I was just saying, let's get together. Let's get a coast. We'll spend some time together. Um, it's a way of showing hospitality. You would maybe have a different way of showing hospitality. Some of you are really gifted about bringing people into your home and having a, you know, and you're just, some of you, that's not your thing. That's okay. There's another way you can show hospitality. You can put together a gift bag for somebody and show hospitality that way. But in this way, the, the thing that, it's one of the things that makes Christmas really wonderful. It's being shown hospitality or extending hospitality to others. But there's no limit on that. We can do that 365 days a year. I hope I'm not over, over laboring this point. Here's my final point. The final thing, final way to dispel the post-Christmas gloom is Jesus commissioned us to be the light of the world. He commissioned us. One of the sad things about Christmas is the lights going down, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Wrapping up those lights and putting them away, is that's just a hard thing to do. Unplugging those lights and putting them away. You, you know this is, you know that Jesus, when, I think I've mentioned this before, but it, it, it bears repeating. Jesus, what was the historic setting in, I believe, John 8, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world? If you read that carefully, the chronology, it was the day after the end of the Feast of Dedication or the Feast of Lights or Hanukkah. In other words, there were these huge menorah that were life-sized menorah that they had to literally climb up to light them. You'd see them all around the countryside, and those w would burn all during the Feast of Dedication, and then all those lights went out, and it would have been kind of melancholy. And Jesus stood up, and the Bible says with a loud voice, and he said, I am the light of the world. So when the lights are put away, the light hasn't gone out. You are the light of the world. You are the light in your neighborhood. You, Bethel, you are, you are the light in this, this neighborhood to these people. And I want to commend you and encourage you. Because you've shown your light, people have come to know the Lord. Some of them are right here in the building. We, we had a couple, we were going to baptize them today, and she is in the hospital this morning. Miss Danielle, pray for Danielle. She's in the hospital. Complications on pregnancy. She'll probably be fine, but pray for her. She, Daniel and Danielle have been coming, and he led his boy, two of the oldest boys to the Lord, 11-year-old boys. They were all going to get baptized this morning. She went in the hospital a couple weeks from now. That family will be baptized here. It's because your light was on. It's because your light was shining. Through COVID, you kept the lights on, and God drew this couple to us, and there are others that God's drawn to himself. And so I'm going to encourage you, thank you for keeping the lights on. Thank you for shining a light. Thank you for reaching out. Let's keep doing that this year. Perhaps we'll have more opportunities to do that. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Everything that was ever true about Christmas is still true when you put the box of lights away. I, lo I love it. My kids had this thing. Wherever I am at Christmas time, if I'm in charge, there will be a candlelight service, period. If I have anything to say about it, there will be a candlelight service. And so when my kids were little, when the candlelight service, we, we discovered that there were people in the church that really felt like it was important to make sure that the little children's candles were put out quickly after church in case there was a fire. Because, you know, you hear about churches burning down all the time on Christmas Eve because of this fire. Like, did you ever hear about a church burning? I didn't. Anyway, uh, so, and so the, the people, with, and so my kids, they, they, they're pastor's kids, so they kind of can be rascals. 
Um, and they said they wanted to keep their candle lit, see how long they could keep their candle lit and keep the mean people from blowing their candles out. And so they would be out there, and I would laugh because I'd look, and there they would be, like they would be, and then would be adults that would be like chasing around going, put that out. And then they would be like trying to keep their candles. Well, we really aren't talking about belligerence here. But let's keep, our, let's keep our light shining. Every single day of the year, we have these brilliant, beautiful Christmas things that we can do. 365 days a year, we have beautiful Christian things. I think I've made my point. Maybe what I could do is conclude by using words that Charles Dickens placed in the mouth of a character he created whose name was Ebenezer Scrooge. And he was visited by three spirits in the night. And by the time he woke up in the morning, he was a believer in Christmas. Do you remember this? Don't you just love this part? And he goes over and he throws open the window and he goes, tell me, what day is it? And somebody says, it's Christmas. And then he's euphoric with joy. He says, oh, it's still Christmas. And then he prays kind of a repentant prayer. What does he say? I will honor Christmas in my heart and I will try to keep it all the year. I will honor Christmas in my heart and I will try to keep it all the year. May God help you do that. Stand and we'll pray and then I'll let you go and extend Christmas everywhere. Heavenly Father, thank you for the precious season of Christmas and the carols and the gifts and the kindness is done. Move in our hearts, I pray, that the light would shine out of our souls every day. Help those, Lord, maybe all of us who have a little bit of melancholy today, or maybe a whole lot. We ask in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit that you give us the, the joy of the Lord. Help us to exercise our, our Christian rights, to our Christian privileges, to uh, spread goodwill and good cheer and joy, and the good news, and the gospel, and kindness everywhere we go. Lift our spirits in Christ's name, and help us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.